Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot of this chapter I'd like to read, but I just don't have time to get into everything. Uh, so I'm going to try to restrict it to what I wanted to, say, wanted to talk about. <laughs> Sometimes it's rough to do. Start with verse 32. Now that portion back there, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, boy, that needs to be hit. Anyway, verse 32, he says, But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Now, these people to whom they are, I don't know, I believe it's Paul writing to them, they probably were Jewish believers, and... Uh, when he said after you were eliminated, I think that or illuminated, that means that they were enlightened uh, by the Holy Spirit, and then they endured a great fight of afflictions. Boy, that'd be something, wouldn't it? I just got saved, and boy, I'll tell you what, the Lord, I mean, people really on me. I'm really, really getting in trouble over this. Well, that's what that's what happened to them. Anyway, he says, and partly whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions well now that word gazing stock's an old word it just meant a gazing stock really they stood put them in stocks and gazed at them stared at them ogled at them uh, both by reproaches and afflictions but what they said about them and what they did to them reproaches and afflictions and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. Well, not only were you being done that way, but so were others. For you had compassion of me in my bonds. That's Apostle Paul in his bonds. And, uh, well, I don't know they had handcuffs, but they had ropes and stocks in prison. <clears throat> and took joyfully... The spoiling of your goods. Now, I'll tell you what. I, I don't think there's a handful of people today that could, that could fit in with that. They, they uh, <laughs> took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. I'm Not only did they confiscate you, they confiscated everything that you had. And that's what they did. And have done it many hundreds of years after that too. Knowing in yourselves. <laughs> here's how they joyfully took that. That you have in heaven. A better and an endearing substance. Whatever they took from you here, your money, your clothes, your house, your car, your furniture, whatever they took from you here didn't amount to a hill of beans compared to what you've got in heaven. <laughs> and that's what they had on their hearts and minds. 
But he says, now cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Well, who's the confidence in? The Lord, which hath great recompense of reward. A great payback of reward. God rewards faithful service. For ye have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. This thing's not over yet. Patience. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come. And will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Paul said that in Romans and in the Old Testament also says it. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, unto judgment. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now that whole passage goes together. But verse 37, he said, for yet a little while. Now, how long is a little while? Well, it remains to be seen. We don't know how long a little while is yet. Because believe me, the Lord has not come yet. Regardless of what the Jehovah's false witnesses say, or any of the liberals say he did not come back spiritually. He did not come back spiritually in 1914. That's what they teach. That he did. He did not. No. Uh, we'll know when he comes back. But here's the thing. We've been in the last days since the Apostle Paul. That's for almost 2,000 years. But keep this in mind. With God, time is irrelevant. God is not bound up in time. We are, but he's not. And God doesn't think in, thing, in terms of time. Time has no hold on God. We think past, we think future. What God tell Moses his name is? I am. <laughs> The great I am has sent you, Moses. Not used to be or going to be. He is. He always is. Jehovah always was, is, or ever is to come. The eternal self-existent one. So, yet a little while, and he that shall come. Now, we should know who is the one that shall come. We of all people should know that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. Tarry means be mess around a while. Jesus is going to come right on time. Just as he came right on time, the Bible says in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son made of a woman born under the law 
that he might redeem them that were under the law. Right on time. Wasn't a, wasn't a minute late. And when he comes again, it'll be right on time. He will not tarry. So, say, well, you don't know, you're saying you don't know when. No, I don't know when. Nobody else does either. That's one thing I can, you can rest assured of. I was in a big way of preaching in West Kentucky one time in a preacher's conference. There was a conference that had a bunch of preachers there. And they was all battling over the second coming. Uh, calling each other heretics and all that stuff. And I said, boys, I've been studying this thing for a long time. I was walking up down the aisle then. I could do that. I said, one thing I figured out for sure. I don't know when the Lord's coming. But I said, you know what? I figured out one other thing. You don't know either. <laughs> Never had anybody come back at me on that. Well, I want to impress that, that we don't know. That's the Lord's business. What we know is that he's coming. And that's what we need to set our thoughts upon that he is coming and he will come and he will not tarry he'll be right on time so, well I wish the Lord come to well that's I understand that I have those feelings too and everything gets bad now we've got folks hurting and pain and you know these youngsters talk about hurting they don't know what they're talking about most of them don't have any idea what they're talking about with pain. They just don't. Wait till you get just some age on you. Then you might find out what pain's all about. Uh, and plenty of us have pain. Some of us have a lot of pain, excruciating pain. Well, I just wish the Lord would come back now. And I understand that. I, I, I can wish the same thing. But I have to content myself with this. He's going to come on time. He's going to come and that's going to be his time. And he will not tarry. Everybody else might make you late. The Lord won't make you late. He'll be right on time. Right when it is right in the, somebody said I want to be in the center of God's will. Let me tell you who's in the center of God's will. Jesus, he's in the center of God's will and has always been. Anyway, we're told to rejoice. In the fact that Jesus is coming again. I'll say this. We believe, we know that Jesus is coming back literally. He's coming back bodily. And when he comes, he's going to come right back to the same place where he ascended up from. We'll get into all that. Now this is not a deep message. Just a little boost to rejoice in. The fact that we are still here preaching the gospel, baptizing when we need to, and taking the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder that he is coming back. Jesus said, as often as you do this, take it in remembrance of me and that he's coming back. We're told to watch very carefully. 
Look at 2 Timothy real quick. I've got several scriptures. Turn back a little bit. Second Timothy two. Four, I mean, chapter four and verse eight. Well, verse seven, Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, that is from now on, from now forward, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So Paul says that, that he loves the fact of the appearing of the Lord. And all of those who do love his appearing, that he will appear and have his reward with him. So the earlier Christians, they took great consolation in it, in their persecutions, and so should we. And that's that whole context that I read there in Hebrews 10, that those people had, had undergone, been undergoing some severe persecutions, tribulations. And I don't think any of us are undergoing that kind of tribulation, but we have, we have, Problems in life. So, well, we're, we're, we're facing death. Well, Paul was facing death right here. Paul was facing certain death. He almost knew the day it was coming. It was right up on him. But he said, I fought a good fight and finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm ready to be offered is what Paul said. But Paul reveals that he is looking to the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see in the scriptures the importance of the second coming. Now we got all kinds of theories on this. All kinds of, of interpretation schemes that people use to try to figure out and tell everybody, I know all about it. Well, nobody knows all about it. We're talking about unfulfilled prophecy. Some of them say it's already fulfilled. I think they don't know what they're talking about. It is not fulfilled prophecy. It's unfulfilled prophecy. It will be fulfilled. And we do not know all about it. We're on the blind side of that. And so is everybody else. So, but the fact of his coming, that's what I'm talking about. That he is coming. He will come. And he will not tarry his coming. <coughs> now, I've taken this from somebody else. I haven't studied it myself. It's a whole lot of doing to study it. <laughs> one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament mentions some aspect of the second coming of Christ. One out of every 25 verses, and that would be probably about 318 verses in the, in the, about the second coming in the New Testament. Now somebody says if God says it once, that settles it. But what if he says it that many times? Well, 
anyway, the second coming was important in the mind of Christ. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That's where we don't, we don't like the song, just build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. Because the Lord said there's many mansions in his house. I got no problem with the cabin here. Wouldn't mind one at all. But that's not in heaven. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus was honest. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and he did, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. My, how plain is that? Pretty plain. Uh, Now look at Acts, the first chapter. First chapter, and look at verse... uh, Six, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost that came on the church on the day of Pentecost. And that's the only time that ever happened. Now I know people talked about uh, Charles Stanley. Passing away. Well you know everybody's got to go sometime. And he lived a good long time. But I had a problem with him. He taught that when anybody is saved. When the Holy Spirit regenerates you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's heresy. That's not truth. And I don't understand all these Baptist preachers. Lamenting over his, his passing. Because he wasn't a sound Baptist. And he also taught a universal invisible church. And anybody that believes in a universal invisible church. At least as far as that goes. They are heretics. And I'm not the only one that says that. Anyway. But that you should receive. Anybody wants to know what the day of Pentecost is about. Right here it is. Verse 8. You should receive power. He said y'all. And he's talking to his church that he established during his public ministry while he was on earth. Uh, And after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ghosts the same word of spirit. Uh, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, that means while they stood looking intently, He was taken up. Now I don't understand all of that. 
I've never seen anybody taken up like that. Have you? I've never seen that. I know how much trouble it is to be taken up in a helicopter. You ever ride in a helicopter? You tell me you can't feel that. And, and you know that blade quits, you're gone. I mean, forcing you up. Uh, that's not what happened to Jesus. He was taken up. Uh, while they beheld, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, I know the clouds can't hold much. You know, it's amazing. David, you can jump, you can jump through clouds many times, haven't you? And they didn't stop you a little bit, did they? Well, an airplane goes up through them and comes back down. It looks like when you're above them, it's all clouds. You're going to see it here not long. You can look out there. It looks like a gigantic pillow out there. It just wanted to, well, you lay, but oh, you couldn't lay there on that pillow. You're going to go right on down. Because that cloud doesn't hold anything. Yet, how do they hold all that water? That's where our rain comes from. Yeah. That's what God created there. Anyway, but behold, he cometh with clouds. And the clouds took him up, and when he comes back, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, who were these two men? Well, they were angels. They looked like men. I don't believe they had wings and halos and all that. Two men in white. Which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Because once the clouds received him, you can't see him anymore. I guess they, I would too. I would have been too. <laughs> this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So when he comes back, it's going to be just like he left. I believe that's literal. And I believe that will literally be fulfilled. And when will it be fulfilled? It'll be right on time, and he will not tarry. <coughs> and you don't have to worry about some dude telling you that he, oh, he came yesterday. <laughs> well, now Jesus said that they're going to be saying that. Well, Charlie Russell, the Jehovah's Falls Witness founder, he said it. And there's been many others to say it. I think they had a movie on one of the cable channels uh, about, uh, forget what they called it, about that bunch that uh, when, when the... Uh, Oh, Comet came by, Haley's Comet. It's supposed to come by every how many years? And that bunch out in California, they got rid of the houses and everything, got suitcases packed, <coughs> got up on a mountain and, and committed suicide, waiting for Haley's Comet to come to get them. I got news for you. Haley's Comet went right on bound. I guess somebody had to bury them. I don't know. 
Well, people get so foolish. Read the Bible. There's the authority. So he said that the, that the Lord's going to come, and he's going to come exactly the way he ascended. All right? Uh, look, look, the last message in Scripture. Look at Revelation 22. And after John the Revelator, old man now, 95 years old, banished to the Isle of Patmos. I mean, I ain't near 95 yet, but I can imagine what it might be being in my shape to be banished to an island. Nobody to, to help you or get around. How would you live? How would he live? What a miserable existence. But he says in verse 20, he says, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. That's what Jesus told John the Revelator. Now, quickly, what does that mean? Did we have uh, 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 all kinds of terms about how soon the Lord will be coming back? He will come and he will not tarry. He said, quickly I come. And he's not back yet. Well, quickly in the Lord's language is not the same quickly in our language. But John said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, John had already seen all that's going to happen leading up to his second coming and the resurrection of the righteous. I mean, there's lots of agony that's coming on this earth. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but it won't be too long. Everybody's getting in the right frame of mind for it right now. Uh, you don't think, I don't think anybody will have any problem uh, bowing down to the Antichrist. Well, I don't think, well, look how many people bowed down to Joe Biden and Fauci with the Fauci flu. Well, I mean, they just bowed right down to it. Yeah. We'll take it all. Do what you want to with us. Just don't hurt us. That's what they're saying with all of that stuff. He's going to try to make the military have all electric vehicles. How's that going to work, brother? How's that going to work? <coughs> anyway, people seem like they're ready to accept anything and everything. And I think they're all just getting ready. For when the Antichrist does come, they'll say, hey, what a great guy. <coughs> He's not. But anyway, even so come. Look at 1 Thessalonians. This is interesting. The book of 1 Thessalonians. Do you know, there's five chapters in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And each chapter has something to say about the second coming. I'm talking about the importance of it in the scripture. <coughs> Look at chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 9, for they themselves show of us. What manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which was delivered us from the wrath to come. Or which delivered us from the wrath to come. To wait for his son from heaven. I think that's about the second coming. Wouldn't you agree with that? And then in chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? All right, chapter 3. Verse 13, I look at verse 12, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Why don't we've hit those three chapters, now look at chapter 4. Verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, if you die in Christ, the Bible plainly says that you're sleeping in Jesus. Everybody that died in Christ, a child of God, they're sleeping in Jesus. Now, that means dead, but really it means something else besides dead. They're dead, all right, but they're sleeping in Jesus, awaiting Jesus to wake them up in the resurrection. <laughs> it doesn't mean their spirit's there. Their body's there. All right. So, so he says, now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. That means don't, know, don't have any knowledge of it. Would, ignorant is not necessarily a slam. Ignorant is just saying that you have no knowledge of this issue. And that's what he's saying. I don't want, I want you to be ignorant of this concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And we lose one, a loved one that's in Christ. <coughs> We're not to sorrow like the world. We have certain sorrow. But we're not sorrow like the world. We don't go, we don't go hog wild and pig crazy. I've seen them try to climb in the coffin. I'm serious. I saw him practically knock the whole thing off. Done that more than once. What's wrong? Well, probably what's wrong is that they didn't show any love or any concern for the one that died while he's alive. Now they're showing it all while they're dead, which is ridiculous because you can't show it to them. We don't sorrow like that. Verse 14, for or because... If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That their, their eternal spirit. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means go before, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout. That's why it's not a secret. 
<laughs> with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. There's second coming in chapter 4. Now look at chapter 5. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That comes as a thief in the night on those that are not looking for it. Amen. How's a thief come the night? He tries to sneak in on you. Well, those that are looking for it are not going to be like a thief in the night. Anyway, <coughs> so there's 1 Thessalonians. Every chapter has something to say about the second coming of Christ, and let alone the second Thessalonians. And I'm just talking about the importance that the New Testament shows about the second coming of Christ. You have people say, oh, well, that's not important stuff. We need to preach other stuff. We need to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And part of the whole counsel of the Word of God is the promise of His second coming and the hope that we must have in it. Look at Jude, last book before Revelation. Now we're talking about the importance that the New Testament shows. Now we're going to see something else. Uh, Jude, verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now that's coming way back in the Old Testament. Uh, the seventh from Adam, that's way back there. <coughs> to execute judgment. Upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And that's why people don't want to hear about all this. They don't want to face the judgment of God. That's why Charles Darwin came up with his, with his uh, origin of the species trying to get away from the judgment of God. And most all of them have admitted that. The leakies and all of them admitted that. They'll take anything that can get them away from the Bible and the existence of God and his judgment. Look at Job. Go back before the Psalms. Go to Job. Now Job is actually the oldest book in the Old Testament, not, not from the time it occurred, but in the writing of it. Job is at least as old as Abraham, probably a little bit before. But in Job chapter 19, in verse 25, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. That sounds like New Testament doctrine to me. <coughs> and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. 
And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. You stop and think, that's over 4,000 years ago that Job said that. And he's looking not only to the redemption of the Lord, he's looking to the second coming and the resurrection of the body. That's pretty important. That's pretty profound, I'd say. Well, now look back at Psalms. Psalm 96. In verse 11, this is David. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. <coughs> There's David approximately a thousand years before Christ came. That's 3,000 years ago. And David is rejoicing in the second coming of the Lord. Now look at Genesis. Chapter 49. Jacob gives out his blessings. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Well, you know, Judah, Jesus is the lion out of the tribe of Judah. And so he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. That comes from the same Jewish word. Shalom. Peace. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Until Shiloh come. And then. There's several others. But let's look at Zechariah. Next to last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 14. Zechariah 14, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Now where was Jesus when he ascended? That's where he was which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave, split in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee. Like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall 
come and all the saints with thee. The second coming of Jesus Christ is not, it's not new doctrine. People act like that it's just come around, you know. Been there for a long time. Now, we've already read this in John 14. Jesus said, I will come again. And contrary to the Jehovah's false witnesses, look at Matthew 16. In verse 27. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So, there we go. He said he would come in the glory of his Father. Chapter 26 of Matthew in verse 64 Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Behold, he cometh with clouds and in power and glory. That would be Luke 21, 27. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I'm talking about the importance of of the second coming in the word of God, both Old and New Testaments. And he talks about, this is parallel with Matthew 24, verse 25, there shall be signs in the sun, the moon, and in the stars upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. (coughs) And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So he he comes in power and great glory with the clouds. And Matthew 24 Verse 27. I'll get there in just a second. For as the lightning, chapter 24, 27 of Matthew, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's not going to be a secret coming. And it's going to be one that this whole world will take notice of. So, we said it comes in in the glory of God. He comes with the cloud. All of the New Testament prophets, Peter, James, 
Luke, Paul, John, Jude, all of the, the apostles and the writers of the New Testament, they all stressed the importance of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not talking about our salvation. We have an everlasting hope in the Lord. But beyond that in this life, what is our hope in? Well, I think there's a lot of people now hoping that, uh, well, these elections are going to straighten out things. We've got an election of governor in Kentucky. We've got an election of uh, presidents. I mean, I guess we have to have one. We haven't had one for a while, but uh, got hopes that, that these elections are going to straighten everything out. Well, I've got sad news for you. They're not. They may, if they go right, they may uh, ease up on some things. Uh, back when Trump was in, we, and then Matt Bevin in Kentucky, we saw that abortions reduced drastically. As soon as these Democrats got in, full force. <coughs> no politician is going to straighten things out. So, well, maybe they'll find some miracle drugs that'll cure all of our sicknesses. Well, I don't think it's going to happen. You see what happened to us? We all fell in Adam. And that's the one thing that people don't want to hear. That we are not in the world that God made. It's drastically changed since God made it. It changed when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And then it changed again about 1,500 years later when God destroyed the earth with a worldwide global flood. You know, it just takes an idiot to talk that, that that flood was just local. Where'd they build the walls for it? There's no way. It couldn't possibly be local. And God said that he would destroy all life from the face of the earth. Amen. All of it. There weren't any secret generations that we didn't know about. We knew about them all. Let me give you something else. There is no prehistoric. They talk about prehistoric this and prehistoric that. No, there's no prehistoric of anything. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So, what we're dealing with is a sin-cursed world. <coughs> and sin-cursed bodies. That's what we've got. Well, God didn't create that. Well, he, no, he didn't. I don't believe he created Adam and Eve to die. I don't believe he created Adam and Eve to have sicknesses and diseases and injuries. That preacher in, in Florida fell and cut himself. They took him to the doc, to the hospital. 
They got in there and found out he had some kind of an infection that's, that's eating his flesh. He about died, but they had to take his arm off right up here, right arm. All the way up here, got no, no stub of anything there. And then they had to go in there and take collarbones, parts of it out, and all the flesh. And now they're going to start uh, uh, skin grafting, which they say is awfully painful. He didn't do anything to cause that, but they found it, or else it would have, it would have killed him if he hadn't fallen. Uh, but why that? We're in a sin-cursed world. That's where the infection came from. And we're in a sin-cursed body, and that's why it had that kind of effect. Why are people born with defects? Why are people born, and they get, uh, I looked at the, I didn't get all of that here, uh, the obituary column the other day. Had 20 names on there. And they went from, some woman in her 20s, 27, I didn't say why she died, probably cancer, I don't know. 27-year-old woman died, and it ranged all the way up to a 100-year-old woman died. And I averaged them out, you know what it came out to? 69 years. Moses said 3,500 years ago that our days are three score and ten, that's 70. And if by reason of strength, it's four score. We haven't done a whole lot about that. We think we have, but we haven't done anything about that. We're not going to do anything about that. That's where it is. And so we're in that kind of a world, y'all. We elect the right politicians. Now, if I'm elected, I will bring all diseases to an end. That's the kind of stuff they say. Uh, No politician is going to bring it in. No politician is going to straighten anything. Our only hope is in the Lord and in his second coming. So that's what I'm getting to. Uh, Revelation, uh, the first chapter. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, just like he left. Uh Beloved, now are we the sons of God. If you're saved right now, you are a child of God. And it doesn't appear what we're going to be, but we know that when he shall come, we will be like him. We'll see him as he is, for we will be like him in the sense of a glorified body. So, no hope in human governments. No hope in the conversion of the world. So, boy, will people ever see? No. The only ones that will realize this are those in whom the Lord does a work of grace. That's all. Well, what can we do to make everybody beware of this? Well, just go out and try to talk to them. Go out and pass out some tracts. We've got some now. Go out and pass out tracts and talk to people. Now I want to talk, go to school and talk to your buddies about, I want to talk to you about the Lord. They'll probably leave you right then. Well, I want to tell you that, 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 uh, there is a God, just as the Bible says, and He's a holy God, and He's a God of wrath who judges sin, 
And it says, every soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to have to stand before him and face God someday. And on the thing that's going to happen, he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. Do you what do you think your buddies would say to you if you're talking to them like that? Your girlfriends, your workmates, wherever you are, your family. And you begin, oh, don't bring that stuff around here. I don't want to hear all that. <coughs> We're supposed to do it anyway. But I'm telling you, the problem is not that they haven't heard. As the book of Amos says, they're a famine of hearing the word of God. Not the word of God. The word of God is plenty. You know there's more information, biblical information right now, on that internet than you could ever shake a stick at. Why, if we'd had this back 50 years ago, I don't know that I would have ever spent the kind of money I spent on my books. I would have had some of them, but because you can't get them all on there. But there's many of them. I can just click on a button and get, get to them a lot quicker than I can carry one around and try to read it. There's so much information available. You can get the Bible. You can get the, the King James Bible on the, on the computer or the laptop or your phone. And you can have the Word of God with you constantly. You can read the whole Bible out, out wherever you are. People didn't used to have that. Well, not until, until they started translating the Bibles. Of course, it was Wycliffe first in the 14th century. Then you, then you got uh, 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 William Tyndale and translating the Bibles. And they, and they all got burned at the stake for it because they dared to translate. The Catholic Church said, no, that's against, against the Pope. You can't read the Bible in your language. At 1229 at the Council of Toulouse, they kind of claimed they didn't do it, but they did do it. And you know what? That's still in effect right now. They don't want you reading the Bible. But then again, not many people want to read it. Anyway, where is your hope? It's in the Lord coming. Now, our only hope is in the return of the Redeemer. That's our only hope. Well, how do we know he's going to come? Well, if you believe the Bible, you'll have to agree. I've given you plenty of scripture. And all of it has something to do with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what these Dr. Hall Jaw says that's not going to happen like that. They don't know what they're talking about. The Bible is very plain on it. Teaches it abundantly that Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready for it? If you're not saved, you're, son, uh, you're not ready for it. Repent and believe the gospel and thou shalt be saved. Let's stand.